Hebrew prophets were valued because of their ability to foresee coming events and then warn people in the present. However, the true test of this foresight is, of course, whether or not these visions materialized. Today, we study some of the prophet Ezekiel's most far-reaching declarations and see clear fulfillment in our own day. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to our study this week. This is the entire book of Ezekiel, selected chapters, but um, really excited to study this week and uh, to dive into one of my favorite books, even though it can read a little bit depressing, kind of like Jeremiah did, but, uh, but I really like some of the messages that come from Ezekiel. I was just going to say, what makes it your favorite? Because that's not the first time we've heard that from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. You, you study something, and especially when you can see relevance to your life in a scripture story, then it becomes something meaningful to you. So Ezekiel is one that this year has kind of captivated my attention because there's been a lot of relevance to things that, um, that I have felt and that I've gone through in my life. So Okay. Well, we'll look forward. So today... You're probably not going to notice much of a difference, but for us, this is a little bit of a different episode because I have not been as studious this week. Actually, we are have to be apart for a few days, um, and so we realized, like, oh, we need to get this podcast episode recorded, and so Zach had time to um, really dig in and have some ideas, and I didn't, but we didn't want to make him do it alone because I already did that enough. So we're just, we kind of decided like it might be kind of fun to um, just have you, Zach, teach a little bit and then I will kind of just follow along and explore it fresh together. Yeah, exactly. So that's the plan for today. Um, And so I'm excited and ready to hear what you have to say and I'm going to kind of be your Commentary? Color commentary. Yes. I'm the, I'm and the play-by-play, he, play and you're the color commentary. And now he's reading his scriptures. He's looking down. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it in a British accent. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that is captivating about Ezekiel is his position in history. Uh, similar to Jeremiah, Ezekiel is a prophet of the exile. Uh, meaning he's a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah as they are being conquered by Babylon. And by most accounts, Ezekiel's prophetic ministry, the 20 or so years that he is uh, prophesying and, and ministering, he does that in exile. So not in Jerusalem, uh, but outside of Jerusalem. And because of that, uh, he has a really unique message to share. The very beginning of Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, uh, mentions that he is with the captives by the river. And that's where this story unfolds. Ezekiel the captive, speaking to Judah and Israel, captives, and telling them what the Lord would want to tell them that are captive. And we were talking a little bit before this. This isn't quite the same captivity that like the people of Alma in the Book of Mormon experienced, where they're righteous, but they're in captivity because of the uh, abuse of others. This is 
Israel and Judah in captivity because of their own mistakes and their own sins. Um, and so it's a deserved captivity uh, if if you believe the words of Ezekiel. And so, so it makes it kind of a unique book and, and a unique place to study some things that I don't think you can quite grasp in other books of Scripture. So, But with all of that, I wanted to start with this. This is uh, a story from Elder Worthlin uh, years ago. And so I'll just read it. Do you need a volunteer to read it? <laughs> Do you want to read it? Read it. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you? Go ahead. You read it. Read, read oh, the story from Elder Worthland. That would, you'll do a better job at reading it than I would. How long do I need to read it? Just tell the end right there. Okay. See, I'm really good at this role. <laughs> On December 26, 2004, a powerful earthquake struck off the coast of Indonesia, creating a deadly tsunami that killed more than 200,000 people. It was a terrible tragedy. In one day, millions of lives were forever changed. But there was one group of people who, although their village was destroyed, did not suffer a single casualty. The reason? They knew a tsunami was coming. The Mokan people live in, a vi- in villages on islands off the coast of Thailand, Thailand and Burma. A society of fishermen, their lives depend on the sea. For hundreds and perhaps thousands of years, their ancestors have studied the ocean, and they have passed their knowledge down from father to son. One thing in particular they were careful to teach was what to do when the ocean receded. According to their traditions, when that happened, the laboon, a wave that eats people, would arrive soon after. When the elders of the village saw the dreaded signs, they shouted to everyone to run to high ground. Not everyone listened. One elderly fisherman said, None of the kids believed me. In fact, his own daughter called him a liar. But the old fisherman would not relent until all all had left the village and climbed to higher ground. It's kind of cool, or kind of cool story. Yeah, yeah, it's a powerful story. Well, and it connects here to the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel. This is chapter 3, verse 17, when the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. And that image of a watchman is reiterated throughout the story. And so Ezekiel is this watchman on the tower who sees the enemy right at the gates approaching and is called to warn Israel of what's going to happen so that they can stay as safe as possible and so that they can learn from this mistake, from this captivity, and and develop in a way that makes it so they aren't captive in the future. And with that story that we read in mind and also um, the idea of a watchman, I think that becomes a pretty iconic... um, frame for who a prophet is mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, going back to what we talked about last week of who a prophet is and what their role is. Um, I like the idea of a watchman, someone watching for and caring for um, God's people. Yeah. So what I think would be fun for us to do is um, ask one question that I think we can answer a little bit in this episode. And then one question that uh, we can't answer for our listeners, but that I think is compelling nonetheless. The first question What did Ezekiel see on his proverbial tower that we recognize as being fulfilled or possibly fulfilled today? Ezekiel looks to the near future and sees captivity and destruction, but he also looks to the distant future and sees restoration and redemption. Well, we live in the days of restoration, and we have records of the day of redemption, meaning the days and teachings of Christ. 
And so we're the people that should be able to recognize the reality of Ezekiel's prophecies. So I think it's, uh, I think a fabulous way to study Ezekiel is to look for what he prophesied uh, that we recognize as having come to pass. And then the second question, which is the one that maybe we can't answer for our listeners, but I think is compelling is, with that study in mind, what do modern watchmen or watchwomen see? What are we hearing from our church leaders that we're also recognizing as being fulfilled? Of course, in that there are warnings, and those are maybe the more clearly, clear, easy to observe and identify uh, pronouncements from the tower. But I think there's also been some declarations about what's happening in the world that are positive, uh, and some things that are happening within our church and things that are happening um, within the individual hearts of us as members that are likewise being uh, seen and that we can see fulfillment in. So with those two questions in mind, um, I thought it'd be fun just to look at a couple of places in Ezekiel where he prophesies something about the future that we can possibly see fulfillment. And of course, with every episode, we'll give a couple of ideas and, and listeners will be able to hear uh, and read and see many other things as they study on their own. So maybe I should just read the first one that we have here. Yeah, I think it's a good one to start with. Let's do Ezekiel 11, verse 16. And I'll just read it and then we can kind of go through it together. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. In the King James, it says a little sanctuary, which I kind of like um, for a reason which we'll talk about here in a minute. But um, anyway, I, I love the idea. We talked about this before, but I love the idea that even though historically Judah and Israel were scattered, they were able to still have God's presence with them. He didn't abandon them. They were able to create smaller communities of faith. And we have stories about that. Daniel and his friends, uh, which is the next book coming up, that is a little sanctuary. They are away from Israel, away from Judah, away from Jerusalem and the temple, but they're able to find a little place, a sanctuary. Esther is another story of someone that's in exile and yet finds a place, a sanctuary of faith. And so we have that record of those things happening historically. And I think it's compelling to think about what little sanctuaries the Lord sets up for us and for the rest of scattered Israel in the world today. Well, and I think that's kind of easy to see in something that our church has and does is that really, no matter where you go in the world, you can find a group of saints that are there in a, on a ward or branch or a stake. And I think that's kind of a cool opportunity that we have as members of our church. And I, I like that that corresponds with um, the next verse down in verse 17 talks about um, again, that the Lord is going to gather his people. Um, and I, I like that paired together with a little sanctuary in this gathering of like, let's create something together that God has has allowed us and given us. We're going to gather. And it's, I guess I just like that word, little sanctuary, mm -hmm. like you said. So um, I think that's, that's a really cool one to think about. Uh, it has a little personal significance to me because my uh, grandpa was a church architect. He's actually head of the church architecture department. His last name is Little, and he was head of the church architecture department right when President Hinckley made the announcement that we were going to start building little temples, small temples 
uh, across the world, that we needed ways, a, a smaller temple design to be able to build sanctuaries that were closer to people. And of course, we just reached our 300th temple announcement this last general conference. And I remember when the 100th temple, Palmyra, was dedicated. Um, and so they, they called those, to, my grandpa, maybe this is just apocryphal in his story, but my grandma would always say, well, they call those temples the little temples because they named them after your grandpa. Whether that's true or not, I love the idea of little sanctuaries, whether it's temples or meeting houses or homes or other ways of communities gathering. I even love the idea as it transcends our church, that there are places where uh, people can gather together of other faiths and other religions to feel God's love, to feel safety and protection, and then from that place of safety and protection to make a difference in the world around them. I think out of all the... as you know, putting it in line with the temples. Um, I mean, that's really a sanctuary for members of our church, are our temples. And I think one of the things we noticed in this last conference was, um, and many probably did, was with the announcement of more temples. Um, and I'll admit that sometimes I'm like, do we really need that many more temples? Um, but I loved the idea, or just for me thinking personally, of those few in Mexico City that were that were announced, I just thought, you know, maybe we do need it because it allows that access, these little sanctuaries for people that otherwise wouldn't be able to get to a sanctuary as easily. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can then jump up to Ezekiel chapter 20. I know neither of these were in the Come Follow Me reading, but they were so compelling as answers to this question of what Ezekiel saw that we're seeing fulfilled that I, I had to point them out. So, Ezekiel chapter 20, another great verse of gathering, uh, verse 34. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with stretched out arm and with fury poured out. But then I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face like I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So will I plead with you, saith the Lord God. Um, there, I think, are some really tangible fulfillments of this prophecy. Here is the Lord Jehovah saying, in this wilderness, in this captivity that you have, I am going to come and plead with you face to face. Well, in just a couple hundred, hundred years from this moment, the Lord of the Old Testament, that Jehovah, will come to earth and he will very literally, physically plead with Israel face to face. And I love that that is a sign of his everlasting love and permanence with this people who has so often turned against him. Similarly, fast forward 1800 years from then, and you see, of course, Heavenly Father Jesus Christ and the Lord in multiple visions to multiple members of the church uh, appearing again and pleading face-to-face, -face, restoring and, and lifting and helping. And, and so I love the, the idea, the, the image, that uh, the Lord is so interested in talking to us that he will come and speak to us, plead with us face-to-face, -face, and that we have actual evidence of that, of that happening. I think for me, as interesting as it has been this year to go through and study the Bible, the Old Testament in this way, um, I think that's been the thing that I've liked the most is that example of this history of, of God and his people and how he works with them and how he appears with them and how they hear and listen to him and how that can be 
now applied to us today and how we can learn from them. And I think this is a great example of that. Because especially in this book, um, and maybe the reason why it was so compelling to me is because this is, as we said, a book about about people in captivity because they turned against God. So this isn't just God loves his people when they're being uh, forced into bondage or captivity, or God loves his people when they're down and out. This is God loves and is willing to plead face to face with his people, even when they themselves have turned against him and worshiped false idols or sought alliances with with foreign powers or uh, part of Ezekiel's vision that isn't in the Come Follow Me block for probably good reason is Ezekiel is taken, uh, given vision after vision of what Israel has done, even in the temple. And it's it's it reads almost like a rated R movie. It's just graphic in how horrible some of the sins are that have been committed in sacred and holy places. And after all of that, here's the Lord saying, I want to plead with you face to face. I'm committing myself to coming there to plead with you face to face multiple times over the course of millennia, which to me is just really exciting and, and a mark of his, you know, of his love. I think my favorite place to look for fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecies is in chapter 34. And uh, this chapter, Ezekiel describes the shepherds, the leaders, the pastors that Israel has had, who, as it says in verse 4, have not brought strength to the diseased, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them, and they were scattered because there is no shepherd. Um, so that's a description of the past and maybe even the present, that Israel has not had shepherds who have been intent on healing and recovering and binding and rescuing them. They've had shepherds uh, that have ruled over them with cruelty. And part of that, uh, borne out in the history, but... but um, Part of that, I think, explains why they're, why they're in captivity. But then Ezekiel prophesies that there will be good shepherds, and amongst all of those good shepherds, there will be a shepherd. This is verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search out my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There they shall lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel." And then verse 16, I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was was sick and I will destroy the fat and the strong and I will feed them with judgment. I love um, the answer to the lack of, of shepherds after the Lord's heart that the Lord himself will come. And again, fulfillment in the physical representation of Jesus Christ as he comes and literally physically shepherds his people, heals them, binds up their wounds, rescues them. 
Um, but then to see that continued through the work of the apostles after him uh, and the work of Christianity and and the Spirit of God moving on other religions throughout the millennia sense, and then, of course, in the Restoration, uh, as the Lord continues to lead and guide this, I think, worldwide effort to minister to and care for, to heal and to bless and to rescue. Well, and I don't think there's any better metaphor than than the Good Shepherd. And so I love that we see that written here and see it fulfilled in the New Testament and certainly something that we see today. I think, I mean, you and I were talking before about um, this, of course, finds fulfillment in our in our church. But we've talked a lot about how God isn't limited to just this church in his efforts to bless and strengthen his children. Um, to believe that the only people through whom God is working to strengthen and help and heal his people is the members of the Church of Jesus Christ, is to believe that there's only 17 million people on the earth that are doing this right now, which is a really small group for a you know 7 billion population world. And so I see definite fulfillment in, in our church and in what we're being able to do with the Spirit of God and prophets and apostles and ordinances and covenants. But I love seeing, President Nelson, or President Oaks mentioned this at the beginning of his uh, first conference talk, I love seeing the, the work that is being done by so many other people to do exactly this, to heal and to bless and to strengthen. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I mean, that is kind of some of the points that we had from last week, too, um, from that episode of just the efforts that all good people are making are, I feel, steps in the right direction towards um, becoming just a more peaceful place, which is what I think we all want, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can I? So I want to. I want to ask then a question about this because I think this reading um, has a real power to to help us to be a, a little more optimistic about what we're seeing in the world. And so, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but as you've kind of thought about this, um, what has it done, I don't know, for your worldview or for your optimism and for the way that you see the way that things are are going, you know, to see that God is at work healing and helping and strengthening through so many places and so many individuals? Well, it's hard, hard because on one hand, even as you were saying that just barely, I thought, well, it's there's also not a lot of good things going on mm. in the world right now. So it is kind of, I think, a hard a hard thing to notice. But I also just feel that every effort of goodness being placed into the world is worth it. And so I think in any amount of um, any amount of goodness, and especially when we can, you know, add that with other goodness around the world, that it's it's worth it. And hope, hopefully um, we're working towards something that is going to make a difference. But I think we, we never really know what our, what our small, small things are doing. But um, I, I just feel, I guess I feel a motivation to know that there's other people working toward goodness mm-hmm. too. And so I enjoy seeing those in any form around the world that you see, because we, we do, we see plenty of um, really hard things and really evil things happening around the world. Um, but I like to have a little bit of a optimism <laughs> laced in all that. Otherwise it just really does get too hard. Yeah. So I think 
one verse just to tack onto that. This is in that same chapter, 34, verse 25. The Lord says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Um, the Lord has made many covenants in the Bible, many covenants with his children. But this idea of a covenant of peace I think is something that was really marked about the ministry and mission and message of Jesus Christ. Um, the service and the love that he came with, the charity that he exemplified, and the example that he set for us in being like-minded in service and ministry and charity, I think uh, constitutes the Lord's efforts to, um, to bring more peace into the world, his covenant to bring more peace into the world through motivating, inspiring, and encouraging us to do the same. Well, the last one, maybe just before we end, that uh, is the reason why I have loved the book of Ezekiel this year in the first place, is in Ezekiel chapter 37. We are well aware, I think, of the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 about the two sticks, the stick of Joseph and the stick of Judah becoming one in our hand. And we've pointed to uh, the Book of Mormon and the Bible becoming one as a fulfillment of that prophecy. Uh, it's a wider prophecy, of course, about the reunification of the two kingdoms, uh, Joseph, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And uh, the Lord prophesies, Ezekiel prophesies, that one day there will be one nation, verse 22, and one king, and there will be no more two nations, and they won't be divided anymore. And so there's this, this reunification of, of this group of people that have been divided for hundreds of years, and now they'll be re reunified. And I think that is part of an even larger story in Ezekiel 37 that really captivated me. The beginning of the chapter, Ezekiel's given this vision of a valley of dry bones. And he kind of mourns in this vision, can these bones ever live? And the Lord prophesies or tells him, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, live. And then he tells them exactly how these dry bones are going to live. And these dry bones, of course, represent Israel in their kind of fallen state and I think can represent us and sometimes when we feel um, you know, dry or, or lacking in spiritual strength or power. The Lord says in verse 5, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. I will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The word that's translated as breath in that verse, and likewise translated as breath in verse 8, and wind in verse 9, and breath in verse 10, and spirit in verse 14, it's all the same Hebrew word. And it's the same Hebrew word that we saw at the very beginning of Genesis when the Lord breathed into Adam the breath of life that gave him spirit and, and, and life. I love that after periods of desolation, after periods of time when we feel like we are dry, whether it's external influences like a global pandemic uh, or internal influences, personal turmoils or difficulties, I love that the Lord can breathe into us life, uh, literally give us spirit that uh, re-enlivens our body and unifies us together with others. That to me is my favorite image from Ezekiel and the one that I see most clearly fulfilled in, in the world today. Oh, I just love that so much. Um, I feel like that's just 
the most fitting story to end um, this episode of the book of Ezekiel with, um, that as we think about this question for to, for this study was, um, what did Ezekiel see that we recognize today? And I hope that's something that in your study or in your life that you can remember or recognize is that that is God. He is there to give us life, give us hope, give us optimism, um, to help us with our faith, to help us with all of the struggles and trials that we have as humankind and as individuals. So we wish you the best this week. Hope it's a great study. Hope it's a great week. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much.